reason I live. And the writer said, oh, what a reason. Praise his name. Praise his name. Well, don't worry about the elephant in the room. You know, sometimes the devil gets in sound systems. He does it all over across the country. And sometimes he gets in light fixtures. I mean, he just does. And uh, I'm up here praying, Lord, just, just help that light fixture, you know. And, um, you know, distractions come our way, but that's all right. That's all right. God's still in control, isn't he? So we're just not going to worry about all those things. And um, if there were babies crying, we, you know, I told you last night, we're all born with a nature of sin, right? And um, just babies just don't know how to say it other than cry, right? They can't express it. Thank God they don't yell out, I'm hungry, feed me, you know. They just cry. And that's that nature on the inside. You know, they don't yell out, change my diaper. They just cry, right? And uh, But nonetheless, it's great. It's great to be with you on Good Friday. Wow. What a what a lovely day God has given us. And it is so, so good to see you. And, and um, this family here, they've been here every night. Bless your hearts. Thank you so much for coming. And as others of you that have gathered in, so good to see Sister Walker tonight. God bless you. Thanks for coming. And we just appreciate that. And what a pleasant surprise in the parsonage this morning as a couple of young men surprised and uh, surprised the pastor's family and showed up and ate breakfast. And I don't know if they left and showed up at another home to eat breakfast. And I don't know, you know, the Bible college guys are hungry, so they need a lot of food. But it was, it's great to see them. And thanks for playing the instruments. I missed the offertory tonight, though. So get that on the schedule for tomorrow, okay? Just sticker. Who's leaving? Oh, I know that. I know that. So tomorrow, just stay here for the offertory, okay? And um, um, that'll be great. But thank you so much for for being here. And then, and then I keep going back. And man, it's Tom and Tracy, Monica. Hi, Monica. Thanks for coming. I just met her tonight, but I like her smile. And it's great to have her here. Tom and I were in school together years ago at Thomasville, and he he's about to. Be, he's barely in his forties. I said that for several years. You can take that, all right? I use that a lot. Everybody that knew me, they say, how old are you? I say, I'm barely in my 40s. Oh, you're 41. Well, I'm barely in my 40s. Now I'm barely in my 50s, you know? But great to see you. Thanks for coming. And, and back there, it's dark in that back row, but that's that's a pretty good-looking row back there, young people. And uh, the Compensacos. It's great to see them. I know them because I know their mom, Violet. We grew up together in St. Petersburg, Florida. And um, tell your mother and your father, and then we said, hello, will you do that? We've been praying for her, and she's recovering from back surgery. But it's great to have them back here and in the service tonight. And thank you so much. And I get over on this side of the room, and, of course, we got a lot of regular folks that have just been here every night. Thank you so much for coming. It's good to, good to see David and Christina Black. Wow. Good to see Dr. Black and her husband. I've always wanted to say that. Well, someday it'll be Dr. Black and Dr. Black. and Oh, the doctors are in the house. It's great. We love them dearly. She's like a sister and he's like a brother. We I mean that from all our hearts. I just thank God for them. Good to be with them. Thank you for coming. And good to see the hunts here tonight. And Justin, thanks for coming. God richly, richly bless you. We've got some great memories and great stories. And I appreciate you coming tonight to, to visit with us here on Good Friday night. All of you have been doing a great job. You've been providing food. You've been so kind to us. We've had great fellowship after church, and, and we've just been blessed. We really have. 
And if God richly bless you. Second Thessalonians chapter three, if you brought a Bible. Second Thessalonians chapter three. And I, I, I see the hour and I recognize the time and I'm cognitive of that. I am. Um, I felt like God wanted me to share to share basically my 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 testimony tonight, my life story on this Good Friday night. I thank God for the cross. Amen. I thank God for what the cross stands for and what it represents. You know, and I, I got thinking about all the crosses in this room. You know, there's there's 27 of them on the lights here. You know, I've looked them over today. You know, I've got a cross here and a cross on the flag and on top of the flag. And there's just crosses all through this sanctuary. It reminds us. Of, of what Jesus did, how he bled and he died and he suffered for you and for me. And oh, what a what a privilege we have to know the atoning blood of Jesus to be applied in our heart. But I'm glad it didn't end on Friday, right? As one preacher said, it's Friday, but Sunday's coming. And oh, we look forward to Resurrection Day. Wherever you worship, I hope you'll look forward to Resurrection Day and go with a heart of praise and worship to the living, risen Savior, Jesus Christ. And uh, But thank you, thank you, thank you for being here tonight. And so let's stand together. I just want to read one verse of Scripture tonight. One verse of Scripture. And in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, in verse 3, it's um, one of the life verses. I have a couple of them, and um, this is one of them. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, in verse 3, it says, But the Lord is faithful, who shall establish you? And keep you from evil. But the Lord is faithful. Who shall establish you. And keep you from evil. Praise his name. Sister Christina would you pray for us tonight please. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. Simply speaking, I, I was raised in an unchristian home in the Finger Lake region of upstate New York, a little community called Palmyra. Palmyra is the home of Mormonism. And that's where I was, I was born and raised. It was a home of alcohol. It was a home of immorality and drugs and where wickedness abounded. But aren't you glad for the scripture in Romans 5.20 that says where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. And oh, I can testify to that tonight. Where sin abounded in my life and in my home, thank God grace has much more abounded. And I give God the praise. My mother was, was 15. And uh, my mother wasn't raised in a Christian home, a, a Catholic at best, whatever that meant to her at that time in her life, very little, but uh, she wasn't raised in a good home. She was 15 years old, and she finds herself on the streets of upstate New York, and she's partying and carousing and carrying on. Next thing you know, she, she runs into an 18-year-old guy. The next thing you know, they, uh, they have immorality and relationships and, and fornication and whatnot, and and um, just lived a wild life as only young people were living without God in that day. And um, she realizes now she's pregnant with a baby. 
and uh, it was a mistake. It wasn't what she wanted, and it, you know, wasn't at all in her plans. And she's 15. I mean, what's a 15-year-old know about raising a baby? And and so she thought about aborting this child and just you know taking the life of this baby. And she said she went to the Catholic Church, and and she's told me the story herself. She went to the Catholic Church and and um, talked to the priest and whatever, and and um and felt like God, whomever that was in her life at that moment. Uh, God said to her not to abort this child, but to give this child life. And so she said she made a commitment to, uh, to give this child life. But my mother forgot about her prayer. She forgot about all that she had talked about with God and, and how she would give God you know, this child and how she turned over to him. And she just lived her life in the midst of pregnancy with drink and drugs and, and just all of that throughout her lifetime. And now she's now she's coming to the end of pregnancy, the end of nine months, and it's time to deliver. It's time to bring this child. And it dawns upon her that all the things that she'd been doing throughout pregnancy had no doubt been harming this baby, been, been, been you know, terrible for a baby. You're not supposed to do those things. And it dawns upon her, and she goes back to that same Catholic church, and she says, I prayed a prayer, and she said, I told God, God, if you'll give me a healthy baby boy, you, you, you'll forgive me for my sins. You'll forgive me for what I've done uh, to my body and to the body of this little baby. And you'll give me a healthy, dark-eyed, dark-haired, healthy baby boy. She says, God, I'll give him back to you all the days of his life. It's kind of what Hannah prayed in 1 Samuel chapter 1. And on that Halloween night of 1970, I know what you're thinking. I now understand what's wrong with Brother Dirk. He was born on Halloween. Oh, I like to consider myself a Reformation baby, if you know anything about church history. But nonetheless, on October the 31st, 1970, my 16-year-old, now 16-year-old mother, gave birth. And I was brought into this world with dark eyes and dark hair and amazingly healthy. A miracle of God's divine doing, frankly. From conception to that point, God had had his hand on my life and had no results or any, any, any consequences of my mother's actions. God had touched me and I was brought into this world as a healthy baby boy. My mother married the man that had fathered me and they were married for just a couple of short years. Of course, they weren't in love with each other. They just had a relationship that brought a child into this world and, and divorce came and and um, so I was probably three or four when, when divorce officially hit our home. And, and I was living with grandparents for a little while during a custody battle. And I can re faintly remember some of those days, frankly. I can remember the days of being with my grandparents pre-kindergarten years. And um, so my mother and my real father, they went their separate ways. And my mother gained custody. My father was in the United States Navy. And he served our na nation for, for about 25 years. Married a Filipino while stationed in the Philippine Islands. And um, so because of that, my mother gained custody of me and um, a brother was born to our, to our home and his name was Dennis. He was just a couple of years younger than me. And so my mother, I remember the day when, when um, there was a lot of different men that came to my, mama, my, my mother's life while I was just a child. But I remember the day specifically that I came home from school right on Main Street in downtown Palmyra, New York. And there I saw a couple of big motorcycles sitting in the front yard. And I remember going into the house, and there my mother was sitting on the lap of a bearded Harley Davidson biker with body piercings and tattoos and, you know, ponytail off the beard and everything you can imagine, the leather, all that kind of stuff. 
spikes. You know, it just kind of took me back as a kid. I remember that moment. My mother married that fella. I, he became my stepfather. And, uh, he would raise me. He would be my father and my mother. And they would raise me and my brother, Dennis. And, and I grew up in that kind of home, a, a pretty wicked home. And the pit bulldogs, uh, just kind of, that's kind of dogs that we had. We were the kind of family that had pit bulldogs. You know what I mean? We didn't have poodles. You know, Fluffy wasn't at our place, okay? He didn't survive, all right? We had pit bulldogs, okay? And um, I remember we raised over 100 of them growing up. I slept with a pit bulldog all my life until I left for Bible college. That's all I remember. I mean, that's just un it's incredible, but it's true. My wife says, I'm so glad the Bible college was in your life. It was like a buffer between me and, and you know, my pit bulldog days and her. You know, it was a buffer that kind of cleaned me up a little bit. <laughs> and, um, we've laughed about that. But nonetheless, so, you know, I was raised in that environment. But you know what's really amazing? My mother never forgot what God did for her. And she remembered, she prayed that prayer, God, if you'll give me a dark-eyed, dark-haired, healthy baby boy, I'll give him back to you all the days of his life. And so my mother felt some moral responsibility and obligation to God to, to send me to church. So even though I wasn't raised in a Christian home, even though I knew nothing of spirituality in our family, our home was wicked and wild, I always remember being in church on Sunday. At my littlest, as a little kid, my earliest memory, I'm in Sunday school. I'm in church. I'd get on somebody's church bus. I'd get on somebody's church van, and I'd go off to Sunday school. And, you know, I'd sing the Sunday school songs of the Baptist church, the Methodist, Presbyterian, Catholic, Lutheran. It didn't matter. I went to lots of churches growing up. And I'm living in upstate New York, and I remember I, I went to this one church, and, and they were giving out candy bars if you memorize Scripture verses. Well, that was exciting. I mean, what kid doesn't want a candy bar? You know, I, you know, wow. I mean, I was at Walmart today and I saw the candy aisle. And, I mean, kids were all excited, you know. And I was like looking for something and I didn't find it. I was like, man, I'm so disappointed because where's my Easter basket? But, you know, we had a little fun with that today, didn't we? And I remember, and this is this caramel, chewy, caramel marathon candy bar. And if you memorized a verse of the Bible, they were going to give them out free. And so I remember memorizing my first verse of the Bible, John 14, 6. Very first verse I ever memorized, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. I had no clue what that verse meant, but I memorized it so I can get the candy bar, and I got it. Hallelujah. I remember that church, and they had a big, they, they, they had a big swimming pool in their church. I mean, that's a cool church. I went to a lot of churches in my life, but that church had a swimming pool. And they had baptismal services where they would dunk you in. And then when you got underneath the water, you swam under the rope. And then you were a part of the swimming party. And it was cool. What a great church to go to. I went to all kinds of churches growing up as a kid. It was fun. I did all kinds of stuff. And, and um, you know, I went to this one and that one. And, and I remember we moved from, from upstate New York as a, a nine-year-old boy. We moved to uh, St. Petersburg, Florida. I really really don't even know why we ever moved. I never asked. I don't really to this day. I guess that's something I've never thought about asking. Why did we move to Florida? But we moved to St. Petersburg, Florida. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm there again. I'm looking for churches, you know, and my mother remembers what God did for her. And so she's looking for buses and vans to put me into, you know, Sunday school and send somebody, even though it was a babysitter for her on a Sunday. Thank God for every parent that'll let you babysit their kids on a Sunday morning. Amen. Thank God for that. And so my mother would, you know, this church would come along. And this one church was kind of a cool church. I went to this one church, and they were giving out 
brand new pair of high top Reebok tennis shoes for every boy and girl that came for four weeks in a row. Well, who wouldn't want to go there for four weeks? You know, I might think about it now. I went for four weeks in a row and I get a brand new pair of tennis shoes. So I went to that church for a while. Then I heard about another church that said, if you'll come to our church 8, 10, 12 weeks in a row, whatever it was, we're going to take every boy and girl to Orlando, Florida, to Disney World. And I was like, wow, I'm going to that church. And I went to that church, and sure enough, they took me to Orlando, to Disney World, and I got to see Pluto. I mean, he's real. He's my favorite Disney character. Oh, I, and he was real. He was walking around and everything. And I, I was like, wow. That was a great church. I went to a lot of churches. I remember one day, there was a knock at the door, and I go to the trailer door, and, and here's my friend. I'm 11. He's nine. And um, he says, hey, he said, would you like to go to our Saturday church picnic? I didn't know what a church picnic was. I never heard of it. I said, well, what, what, what do you do there? He says, hey, he says, come to our Saturday church picnic. It's, it's food at the park, and it's free. I said, yeah, I'll do anything for free food. We still kind of think like that a little bit, don't we? It's a lot we do for food, right? I said, all right. He said, he said Wednesday night, they're going to bring a van into the trailer court, and, and they're going to pick us up and take us to Kids Club on a Wednesday night, and then on Saturday, it's the church picnic. I said, okay, I'll go. So Wednesday night, I'll never forget this blue van pulls into the trailer court. And um, this round, jovial kind of guy, he gets out. He's kind of funny little limp to him. And he gets around. He opens the door. And we all get up inside the, the van. And we go off to this kid's club. I don't know anything about this place. But I go off to this kid's club. And we get there. And, and, man, it was fun. They sang songs. And they had games. And they had relay races. And then cookies and punch. And, wow, it was fun. And I had a great time. And then they said that Saturday we could go to the picnic. We'll be at a park. And then the food will be there and it's free and i was like yeah i'll go and i'm 11 years old and my buddy's nine and I, I had no idea it was a holiness church you know that didn't even compute it was just a, it was another place it was another place they were doing something it was exciting but it was a holiness church at the first for the very first time in my life i attended a holiness church and i was invited by a nine-year-old boy now, let me just stop for just a moment tonight. Let me just ask you a, a, a little question. Let me just state a few facts, and I'll ask a question. I believe pastors ought to knock on doors and invite people to Sunday school and church. Amen. But it wasn't a pastor that knocked on my door and invited me to Sunday school and church. I believe board members ought to be knocking on doors and inviting people to Sunday school and church. But it wasn't a board member that knocked on my door and invited me to Sunday school and church. I believe lay folk, Sunday school teachers, and Christians should be knocking on doors and inviting people to Sunday school and church. But it wasn't Sunday school teachers and lay folk. It was a nine-year-old little boy who was so excited about what was happening in his kids' club and his Sunday school his junior church, that he invited his friends. Can I ask you a question? Is Sunday school that exciting to your kids? Is church that exciting for your children? That they're going to invite their neighbors and their friends to want to come? Because that's what happened to me. I'm so thankful that God was doing something in that little Bible Methodist church 
that made that nine-year-old boy so excited about Sunday school and kids club that he wasn't wanting to invite his friends. And he came to my trailer, knocked on my door and invited me. And so now it's Saturday, it's church picnic time. And that same pastor in that same blue van comes by and he picks us up and um, we get in there and we go to that church picnic and, and we're at a pavilion, we're at a park and uh, I'm looking to bring all this food in. And I noticed the people look kind of funny to me at first. You know, I was like, man, all the ladies, it seemed like every lady had on dresses. That was different. And then they all had their, their hair up on their head. It was kind of funny looking. Now, it wasn't completely strange. My mom, my mom, my mom's um, half Cherokee Indian. My grandmother's full-blooded Cherokee. And my mom was half Indian, and she's big into all this Indian stuff. And her hair was long one day down her back. And so she'd often put it up on her head. So that wasn't as uncommon to me. But how they did it was just, I looked at these ladies. I thought, man, they're different. And then I noticed most of the guys, they had on pants. And they had sleeves in their shirts. And here I am wearing shorts and tank tops. I'm 11-year-old. I'm in Florida, right? I oh, mean, these people are different, but don't worry about them. Look at the food, man. It's free. The food is free. I was so excited. And, and I remember they, they prayed over the food, and we got in there, and we ate, and all you could eat, it was unbelievable. And I remember I got into a fight at that picnic with some other kid. I don't even know why we fought. I don't know what happened. I just remember we were in a fight. And I remember that pastor coming over there and breaking up the fight. And I don't know if I was on top. I'd like to think I was. But I don't know if I was on top or on the bottom. But they broke up the fight. And that pastor got us in the van. He's going to take us home. And he gave us a kind of a lecture, a little scolding. He said, now listen, if you're not going to behave, you can't come. But if you'll promise to behave, we have Sunday school in the morning and kids club. We want you to come. But you can't fight here. But he took us home and he said, I'll be by to pick you up in the morning if you want to come, if you'll behave. And the next morning he picked me up and I told him I'd try to behave. And I started coming to that Sunday school. Now, I wish I could tell you that I was one of those, you know, North Carolina, good looking little boys that comes to church with a little tie and his little Bible. And he's always, yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. No, ma'am. No, sir. You know, all the polite boys that you have here in North Carolina. I wish I could tell you I was one of those kind of boys. I wasn't. I was the kind of kid that, well, you know that kid when he shows up at your place and you go, oh, no, he's back. <laughs> Don't say his name, but you know who you're thinking about? That was me. That was me. And I'd go to Sunday school and I'd go to church and, man, I, I would cause havoc. And I would cut up and goof off and carry on and, and you know, I'd throw the, throw the, I'd grab an offering plate and throw it like a Frisbee and I'd throw songbooks and rip pages out and jump on this and do stuff. And, and it was terrible. And, I, and I'd get in trouble. I'd get in trouble. And, and, and they would grab me and, and they would take me home and restrict me from church for a week. And I'd act like I didn't want to come back. And they'd visit me on Saturday and I was kind of acting tough. and like, I didn't want to come back. But the next Saturday they'd come back and visit me and say, hey, if you, if you promise to be good, you can come back to church tomorrow. And of course I went back and because it was fun and I wanted to be there and they gave me attention and all this. And, you know, maybe I'd be good for a little bit, but then I'd goof off again and do bad stuff and disrupt. And, and it was just awful. The things I would do just back and forth, back and forth. And, and I remember all of that going on. It was back and forth. And I'll never forget one day the pastor, the pastor announced that he was going to be leaving the church. Now I never, I didn't understand how that all worked. I was just a kid, right? But the pastor was leaving. Well, I liked him. My mom actually liked him. And, um, and um, his name, by the way, was Jack Hooker. Anybody remember? No, Jack Hooker. He's my pastor. He found me in the streets of St. Petersburg, Florida. 
And he, um, he brought me to Sunday school. And, but he's leaving now. He's heading out of town. And so they said a new preacher was going to come. And I'll never forget the first Sunday the new preacher shows up. He goes right up here to the pulpit. Everybody's sitting in the sanctuary. He carries a big old black Bible. And he's got a black tie. And he's got a black suit. And he's one of those preachers that thundered the truth. You ever heard that kind of a preacher? Just a thunder there. And he just preached on Harley Davidson bikers and hell. And he, I mean, he looked at me and said, Young man, if you don't get saved, you're going to split hell wide open. Ooh. Let me tell you something. That kind of evangelism doesn't work for 99% of the people. But every once in a while, it has an impact on somebody. And I needed to hear that. And I remember that pastor, he, he got up there and and they made a declaration that all the, the, the teenagers, you're 13, you had to be in the sanctuary. There was no more junior church for the teenagers. I didn't want to sit in the sanctuary. That's where all the old people were. They'd sleep. I was full of energy. What do I want to be out there for? But he says, we have to be out there. And I thought to myself, if we're going to be out there, he's going to know we're out there. Because I thought if I was bad enough, they'd get rid of me. I thought if I did enough bad things, they'd, they'd send me on my way, and, and, and away I would go. But, but no, I mean, I'd be in church, and I'd goof off, and I'd stand up when you're not supposed to stand up, and I'd talk around, and I'd look at people and throw stuff, and, and I couldn't believe it. The church had bouncers. Now, my dad was bouncer for bars, so I knew what a bouncer was. I didn't know they had them in church. And man, literally, I'd get in trouble, and some guy, he would, he would, he, he would come and grab me. You mind if I, I mean, this guy here, he's, he's like a saint. Come here, young man, right here. How old are you? You're 11? All right, I'm going to use you as an illustration. You don't mind. Can you come with me? You all right? And they would literally grab me right out of the service, just like this. They would grab me out of the service. You know what they would do to me? They would find these precious saints. They were two older ladies, Eloise and Connie Wood were their names. And they would put me in that pew right between. Let's just do that. Let's kind of have fun here for a moment. And they'd sit me right between those two ladies. And those ladies would squeeze real close together. And they'd pull on my ear and pinch my cheek and tell me to sit still. You don't have to do it to him. But that's what they would do. And I'd act like I didn't want to be there. And then all of a sudden, one of those ladies would reach down their deep, dark purse. There's a lot of stuff in there, you know. They'd reach through there, and they'd find a piece of candy. They'd slip it to me. Thank God for candy. Oh, candy, candy, candy. I asked my sons today, I said, are you, you getting candy for our grandchildren? Because they need candy. You know, Easter's here. You got to get them candy. Well, they're only two years old and one's a month old, so I don't know how it's going to work. But someday we're going to make sure they got plenty of candy when they come to Grandma and Grandpa's house. And they'd slip me a piece of candy, and I'd sit there, and I'd be real good. I'd be real good. The next week would come. The next week would come. The next week. And all of a sudden, I'm goofing off again. I'm carrying on. And the bouncer showed up. And they'd come right out of the building. And they'd grab me again, just like I'm doing right now. They would grab me. And put. And I knew where we were going. Right back to that same spot between those ladies. And those ladies would squeeze real close together and pull on my ear and pinch my cheek. I'm 13. But I was just a mess. And then they'd reach down in their purse. Because I knew what was coming. See, if I was bad enough, I knew where I'd go. I knew what I'd get. I'd get a piece of candy. Oh, and there were times those people would, I'd get in trouble. They'd take me out of church. and They'd say, you can't come back to church for two weeks. Fine, I'm not coming back to this. And whatever I'd say, this church, it was bad. 
They visit me on Saturday. They visit me on Saturday. And I kind of act like I didn't want to come, but there was something that kept drawing me and I couldn't figure it out. Why would I want to go back there? You say, well, that wasn't nice of them to tell you not to go to church. I mean, I thought a church is supposed to bring them in, not keep them from it. Let me tell you what I believe with all my heart. One soul is worth more than all the world. But one soul is not worth ten souls. And sometimes you have to remove the one to preserve the bunch. And sometimes love is tough. I've been a part of Bible college work for a lot of years. I'm now the president for three years. And there's times you have to look in the eyeball of a young person. And you've got to give them some pretty stern ultimatums, right? But they got to know you love them. Before you ever give correction, affection has to always precede it. Or you create bitterness in the life. So it's important to love them. And I didn't know that as a kid, as a young person. So I'd go home and I'd act like I didn't want to come back, but they'd pick me up again. And something kept drawing me. Something kept drawing me. I began to listen to the preacher. I mean, I was, I did so many bad things. I could tell you stories of jumping over pews and crawling under the pews while you preached and, you know, all kinds of nonsense. But as I begin to settle down and listen to the preacher preach, I begin to realize the message of the gospel, that Jesus died on Calvary. And he stretched out his hands and he bled and he suffered and he died to give me a chance. And when I realized it, when, I dawned, when it dawned upon me that, that Jesus gave everything for me during Passion Week, I thought to myself, you know, the least that I can do for Jesus would be to give him my everything. So it was on an Easter Sunday. I'll never forget it. I was 14 years old. The preacher preached and the invitation was given. And I'll never forget. I made my way to an altar. And there I began to confess my sins and tell Jesus I was sorry. A street kid coming to church on a bus or on a van. But I told Jesus I was sorry and I asked him if he'd come into my heart. I'll live for him. I'll serve him. You know what Jesus did? He saved me that day. He absolutely transformed my life. I meant it from the bottom of my heart. I was 14. That's 36 years ago. I gave my heart and life to Jesus Christ. And he saved me. I'll never forget. I got up from there and, and I felt clean. That was probably the thing that, that I, I remember the most was I felt clean. I mean, I was physically always dirty. I smelled. You talked to the people that knew me in those days. I mean, I had a smell about me. I wore dirty clothes. We played in dirty clothes. Our house was, house was filthy. We had dogs and dog mess. And, you know, it was, just, it was just a wreck of a place. The most deplorable kind of place you can think of in your community is where I would live. And yet when I got saved, it was like I was clean. It's like I got a real bath. And I felt so good. And I went home, and, and I couldn't help it. I got home that, that Sunday, and there's my stepdad. He's, he's sitting on the couch. He's got his big beer belly and body piercings and tattoos, and he's drinking and whatever and watching whatever. And I get home, and I said, Dad, I got saved. Saved from what? I said, I got saved from my sins. Jesus came into my heart. Don't get too religious on me. I'll never forget him saying, get to your room. And I did. But God saved me. It began to help me and it began to change my life. 
And uh, it, it was amazing. I'll never forget, I began to read the Bible, and I didn't know where to begin to read the Bible. And you know, Where do you start reading the Bible when you're a brand new Christian? You have never done it before. You know, No one told me. So I thought, well, I know enough about the Bible that there's an old and a new, because when we played Bible trivia games in Sunday school, there's an old and a new Testament. And so I thought, well, I'm a new Christian. I'll start reading the new Testament. And so that's what I did. Matthew chapter one. If you ever started reading in Matthew chapter one, that's where I started. Yeah. I'll never forget it. You know, I'm reading about Abraham begetting Isaac and Isaac begetting Jacob and Judas begetting Pharaoh and Zayar, Thamar and Pharaoh begat Ezram and uh, Aram began Abinadab. And man, is this all the Bible is? A bunch of people begetting people. But thank God I kept reading the Bible. I kept reading the Bible. God put a love in my heart to want to read the Bible. And I kept reading. I got down the end of Matthew chapter 9. I'll never forget it, where I read the words of Jesus because they were in red. And they told me that anything read in your Bible are the words of Jesus. And so I read that. And it said, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the labors are few. Pray, therefore, the Lord of harvest, that he will send forth the laborers into his harvest field. I'll never forget that. I, I knew God spoke to me and said, I want you to be a laborer. I had no idea what that meant. I went to my pastor and I said, Pastor, I was reading this in the Bible and um, it says uh, about being a laborer. And I feel like God says, I want you to be a laborer. What's that mean? He said, young man, God has his hand on your life. He wants you to be in the ministry. You need to prepare to go to Bible college. I said, okay, I will. I didn't know what that meant, but I settled it in my heart that I was going to serve Jesus. I was going to go to Bible college, whatever that meant. I mean, no one in my family had ever graduated from high school let alone go to college. So here I am trying to serve Jesus. And uh, I remember camp meetings in Pell City, Alabama. We'd go to Pell City, Alabama. That was our home camp. And I'd be there in camp meeting. And wow, it was something. I never saw anything like that before. And, and then these school groups would come through and, and they would sing. I remember UBC showing up, and seeing some of the people that was singing that group. I can still tell you who they are. I can give you their exact names. I've talked to them different times. I just talked to one of the members in the group in the last couple of months. And I've never, never forgot about it. They were just they impacted my life. And then another group would come through from Hope Sound. I can tell you who those guys were. I can name them. And, um, and they came through the camp and, and, and talked to me and, and other young people. And then there's this group that came in with this, this older lady, and she had two daughters. That was kind of different. I didn't know who they were. They came representing Carolina Christian Academy in college. Jackie Foley, Christina Foley, and Crystal Foley. I, I don't even, you know, I didn't know these people, but they sang, they did whatever they do. Three ladies singing. And I remember I was at the altar praying, and I got a tap on my shoulder. And this, this, this lady who sang, the older lady that sang, she tapped me and said, after the service, come back to my booth. After the service, I was shy. I was backward. You can't hardly believe that, but I was. And I went back there and I talked to her, and she told, talked to me about Thomasville, North Carolina, and the school. And listened to me and heard my testimony and said, we're going to pray for you and all this. And make a long story short, I thought, maybe I'd like to go to that school. My parents wouldn't even think about me going anywhere but to public school. But to make a long story short, God spoke to my parents and changed their mind. And one day out of the clear blue in the month of August, they said, if you're still thinking about going to a Christian school to graduate from high school, we'll let you go. Now, we can't give you any money. We're not going to help you. We don't have anything to help you. But if, you'll, if you, you want to go, we'll let you go. And I said, yeah, I want to go. And I sent my application into Thomasville, North Carolina, and they accepted me. 
wow. They had no idea what that would mean. They were clueless. They're just excited about another student. I had nothing to offer them. Zero. I had no money. I got nothing. I, um, I'll never forget, I'm driving to North Carolina, and I go through South Carolina in my 1976 Mercury Montego MX. I bought it for 150 bucks. And I'm driving it. I'm 16 years old, heading to Thomasville. And in South Carolina, on the interstate, I get pulled over and I get my first speeding ticket. Welcome to the Carolinas. Heading to Bible college. And I pull into the grounds at Thomasville. And wow, what a shock. I never dreamed. I saw so many girls in skirts. I was like, I am in heaven. This is going to be awesome. Because I was just a normal 16-year-old young man. I couldn't believe it. And I thought, wow, everybody here loves God. The devil's not even here. Wow, this is like camp meeting all year long. It was awesome. That's exactly what I thought. I'm being a little more transparent with this crowd because you, you were, you, you're here, right? And a few of you remember when I showed up and I come on the grounds and wow. And here I'm in school. I only spent 12 months in Thomasville, but for some, it seems like I was here years. You know, it seemed like it was here for years. All the stuff I did and the crazy stuff I did. Never rebellious, just undisciplined. Didn't understand. I remember the dean. All Don Quayle's just come out of Bible college. He's there now. And he's the dean, and he comes in my room, and he says, hey, you got to shut your light out. I said, why? He said, it's after 11 o'clock. It's almost 12 o'clock. I said, my dad fought in America's wars for freedom. What are you talking about 11 o'clock? Well, that, that's, not, that's the wrong thing to say. You can't say that. But I didn't know, and I got dormed. I got in trouble. I mean, I used to go to the dining hall for lunch and supper. There were times they brought your food to me to my room. I learned about Meals on Wheels as a high school senior. Because they wouldn't let me go out of my room except to church and to school. Because I was that undisciplined and that much in trouble. It's the truth. But there were people that still loved me. Brother and Sister Beck, they loved me. Brother and Sister Crater, they loved me. Sister Franklin loved me. Sister Day loved me. Sister Barbara Kinley loved me. Brother Carl Heinzelman loved me. Bruce Johnson loved me. Paul Pruitt loved me. Guy Troyer loved me. Jackie Foley loved me. I could just keep going on. I'm probably going to miss somebody. But they all loved me. They invested in my life. And here I am from the backside of nowhere. Not the most likely to succeed. You can look at my class and I was the bottom of the class. Matter of fact, I failed my senior year of English. I wasn't even allowed to graduate. And I remember watching my classmates march in the tabernacle to get their diplomas and turn their tassel as I sat in my dorm room because I flunked. I failed. And that summer, they said I could take summer school English to graduate if I would take summer school English. And so a precious little couple, Springers, saints, said, we'll let you come live in our home for the summer. I thank God for them. They've both gone to heaven now. But they loved me. I was 17. 
they saw something in me. I don't know what they saw, but they saw something. They said, you can live in our home. We'll feed you. We'll care for you. We'll take care of your laundry. You do summer school English. I worked in some cotton mill in downtown Thomasville from 8 in the morning to 4 in the afternoon. Then I did summer school English all evening, Saturday. Then it was in August when I finished my last assignment and I passed. Brother Carl Heinzelman, who I thank God for, met me in the hallway. He put a diploma in his left hand and he stuck out his right hand and he shook my hand. He said, congratulations. I'm so glad you didn't quit. He gave me my diploma. I was going to go to Bible college. I was going to go to Thomasville. I think they were afraid I was going to enroll. They shut it down. It's never been open since. They closed the place. And so now what do I got to do? Where am I going to go to Bible college? And I remember the president of Penview made his way down to Thomasville, and he told the students that if you want to come to our school, we'll transfer your credits. We'll accept every one of you. And I thought, man, if they'll accept me. And I'll never forget my pastor, Brother Joe Smith. I love him dearly. He just came to hear his revival. We were in Salem a couple of weeks ago and come over to me, and I said, Brother Smith, you remember those days? Oh, yes. He told me. I'll never forget it. He said, listen, you go up north, those Yankees don't mess around. He said, man, down here in our, our southern folks, we know how to love you and care. Those Yankees, man, they're, 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 they don't mess around. You can't get away with that stuff up there. They'll kick you out so fast. You better behave up there, boy. I mean, Brother Joe Smith's telling me this. I mean, it's crazy. And I show up to Penview. And I'll never forget the dean of men looked at me and said, we've already heard about you. One false move and we'll send you packing. It's the truth. And I understood why. I understood why. What am I saying? God is faithful. Who shall establish you and keep you from evil. Led me to Bible college at Penview, and wow, what a what an adventure! What a what a time in my life as God molded me and shaped me and gave me the wife He gave me. And wow, we've been together 28 years, and I've got three sons. Darren's my oldest; he's 26 years old. He directs our choir and orchestra. Tremendous musician, talented young man that loves God, and he's got a wonderful wife. And, and uh, they gave me a, a wonderful son, and my firstborn grandson, Jackson. He's two years old. Thank God for them. My son, Dustin, he's 25 years old, and he married the love of his life, a high school sweetheart, Alyssa. They've been married for several years, and they gave me my first granddaughter. She turned two today. Little old Azel. As a matter of fact, this is her tie. Her picture's on the back of my tie, so I can remember her by... There she is. A little, I, I called her today and wished her happy birthday. My little two-year-old granddaughter. Sweet little thing. And then she's got a little brother. He was just born a month ago, Clayton Daniel. God's been so good. I've got a 23-year-old son that still lives at home, loves the Lord, drives truck, he hunts. And uh, that's just what he does. And, and God has blessed our family. But you know, it's because people have invested in my life. They saw hope. They saw potential. They gave me a chance. Oh, thank God he's faithful tonight. Ladies and gentlemen, I share my story not for you to leave this place to say, oh, what a great guy I am. That's not what I want you to say. When you leave this place, I want you to talk about what a great God we serve. That he would send his only begotten son on a cross and allow him to bleed and suffer and die. That he could redeem lost humanity. You and me. But oh, if God will do that for me, he'll do that for anybody. 
I never would have dreamed that I'd been an evangelistic work for all these years and be in a Bible college work for all these years and now to be the president of a Bible college. <laughs> I mean, it's unbelievable. When I tell students I flunked English, I took six English classes in high school. Listen, you can pass this. Trust me. If you don't like English, pass it the first time. Don't wait and do it in the summer like I did. And I think about how God's been so good to lead and guide my life. And then I look over this crowd and I don't know your story. I don't know your background. I don't know your life. I don't know the baggage you may have, but I'm here to tell you that God can take the broken, battered, and ruined pieces of a life and he can make something beautiful out of it for his glory, for his honor. This is Good Friday. This is Passion Week. This is the time that as Christians we celebrate what Jesus did and why he came. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. And if you're here tonight, you don't know Jesus, really? I mean, you know about him, you've sung about him, you've heard about him, but you really in your heart, there's not been a real transformation. He could do that in your life. He could do that. I wish I could tell you that everybody in my family has come to know the Lord. They have it all. My mom, I just saw her for the first time just a few weeks ago in a long time. She didn't want us to be around. But long story short, I pulled into her driveway a few weeks ago and I called her and I said, Mom, uh, I'm in your driveway. I have my mask with me. Will you let me come see you? She said, the door's open. So my wife and I went in to see my mom and my, my, um, my stepfather. My wife and I were getting ready to get married when my wife, when my, when my mom left my stepfather who raised me, the biker, and ran off with his brother. And they moved to Ohio and got married. So my Uncle Harry is now married to my mom. That makes me my own cousin. I'm my own cousin. I might write a song someday. Some people would say, well, their own grandpa, I'm my own cousin. It's crazy. My family's a mess. But I'm praying for my mom. She's talking more religious than she's ever talked. But you can't just talk religious and get to heaven. You've got to know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. So I pray for my mom. I haven't seen my stepdad who raised me. I hadn't seen him for years. I'm thankful that my dad got saved. It's a long story. I may share more about that in this revival meeting. But a year before my dad died, my dad gave his heart and life to Jesus Christ. He calls me. He says, son, he said, I've got bad news. I said, what's that? He said, i got stage four lung cancer. They give me six months. I said, dad, God's just given you a special blessing. You've just been given a blessing by God. Huh? Cancer, a blessing. I said, absolutely. Dad, if you'd have a heart attack, you've had an accident, ushered in eternity, you're in hell, you've missed heaven. But Dad, you've got a chance to get your house in order. I'm coming to see you since I get done preaching this camp meeting. I'm driving to Mississippi to see you. And I showed up to see my dad, and my dad got gloriously saved. His life was changed. He read the Bible, and we prayed. It was incredible. A year ago, this Past March, a year ago last month, John Parker and I went and saw my dad not long before he was dropping off. My dad testified of being ready for heaven, loving Jesus. He passed away during the pandemic last April, late April, early May. I have one brother, I had one brother, Dennis was his name. He was 25, married, three kids. We both were raised the same way. Had the opportunity to go to the same church, same Sunday school, do all that. But my brother Dennis chose to go another way. Oh, when I get older, but I want to live my life. And 
He lived his life, but in the midst of a drunken moment, took the gun and ended his life. Tragedy left this world without God. I've often thought, oh God, could have been me. Should have been me. Outside of your grace and your mercy. Listen, it's only because of God's grace that any of us are here tonight. It's only because of God's mercy. And if you don't know Jesus, if you really haven't given him in your life, you need to do it. You need to take that step and give Jesus your life. He wants to clean you up. He wants to give you something worth living for. He can make something beautiful out of your life. Praise his name. I want us to stand together tonight. Sing this chorus with me. Something beautiful. saints are praying. Is there anybody on Good Friday that says, you know, I need him to make something beautiful out of my life. I've got nothing to offer him but broken, battered, ruined pieces. I want you to know if you'll just come. Come to Jesus. Tell him all about it. He'll forgive you. He'll come into your life. He'll do something for you that you can't do for yourself, that I couldn't do for myself. Is there anybody like that tonight? You just need to step out. You need to come to Jesus. This is a moment for you right now. God loves you. He's got grace. He's got mercy. He extends it to you tonight. Love to you. Amen. How about it? Anybody like that? Regardless of your profession, regardless of what church, regardless of where you're from, oh, Jesus loves you. And he wants to be your all in all tonight. He wants to give you hope. Won't you let him have his way? Somebody want to pray tonight? Somebody want to pray? Praise His name. God's so good. God's so good. Oh, God, help us tonight. All my confusion, thank God He understood. He's been so good. Bless His holy, holy name. All I had to offer Him. All any of us had to offer him was brokenness and strife. But thank God he can take it. Make something so beautiful out of your life. Amen. Anybody? She's just about done. Would there be anybody honest enough tonight before God and this preacher? You'd say, I have a spiritual need in my life. Let God speak. I just want you to pray for me. And you slip your hand up real quick. I'll not embarrass you. But you say, would you pray for me and slip your hand up real quick and put it back down? Anybody like that tonight? I see, I see. God knows. Anybody else to say, would you pray for me tonight? Anybody like that? I see that. Thank you. Anybody else tonight? Amen. God knows. 
God comes. Praise His name. Praise His name. Thank God tonight. That's what Good Friday is all about. The transformation that can come to a life because of what Jesus did on the cross. Praise His name.